All right. Well, welcome everyone. It's so good to see each and every one of you guys here. It's it's uh, what a blessing it is for us to uh, gather together like this. It really does feel like a great reunion uh, for our community to come uh, back together like this. And I'm really happy to see each and every one of us gathered together. You know, uh, we're starting uh, this kind of new routine for our church. And I think it's really important that we understand why we are doing this new routine. You know, COVID has already pushed us to begin to experience things that we've never experienced before. Begin to experience church in a new way that we haven't thought about. This kind of feeling of worshiping from home. But if you think about it, Worshiping at home should be a very natural experience. I want to open up by sharing with you what's written in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. It reads this. It says, See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. When Isaiah shared this, the context that the people of Israel were going through was exile. They were taken by Babylon. And because of this, being in a, new, in, a, in a foreign place and just spread out in that kind of way, they felt like, where is our community? We can't gather anymore. Right? Where is our temple? Where is our church? And being in this kind of foreign place with different gods, it's so easy for the people of that time as they were scattered to feel like, what's the point? of holding on to faith when we are surrounded by a culture and by people who don't have those same values that we have. How does our faith make sense in such an oppressive setting where it feels like, and what Isaiah says, felt like wilderness. It felt like it was empty. It felt like nothing's connecting spiritually with God as they're struggling with this concept of, is God real? Is he really powerful when I don't feel his presence in my place? I don't see him doing a good work. And then Isaiah addresses the people by saying this. He says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Can you perceive it? Do you not see it? In that same way, COVID has introduced a new way of us doing church, being church, of understanding what it means to be the community of God together. And I wonder if that's the same word that we need to hear today as well, is see, I am doing a new thing. Are you able to perceive it? Do you start sensing the good work that I am doing? Remember, one of the problems that the Israelites had is that they were stuck on this mindset of always thinking, you know, when is God going to bring us back to our glory days, right? When we were the superpower and everything was going right for us. And they kept looking at that and just saying, I want to return to that. You know, some of, for some of us, COVID had done the same thing. Where we're thinking about church and what church experience is with a great worship band, with a bunch of people, that crowds that gather together, and just the energy that is in that place. And a lot of us, we can be like the Israelites, looking back to our glory days and thinking, remember when church was like this? Remember we were so excited when we were teenagers and, and we had these kind of like great experiences with God through worship and those tingly feelings that we got? Where is that again? But what God says in our place of wilderness, instead of looking back, he says, look forward and see. And he says this, I am carving 
a way through the wilderness and streams are appearing in the wastelands. You know, I think one of the problems that the Israelites had was a problem of their identity being associated with their past glory. And sometimes for us, we lean on those kind of pillars as well, that our faith is dependent upon the institution of church or what church feels like to kind of carry our faith, to make it feel valuable, to make it feel worthwhile. But what if God is doing a new thing in each one of our lives? So the first step that I want us to journey through together and invite us in into, as we see this opportunity that God may be giving us to move forward in this new thing, is this, is our open house Sundays. Today is our first day of our open house Sunday. And from now on, what we will be doing as a community is meeting every second Sunday in our homes with this anticipation and expectation. God, what is this new thing that you are doing with my faith? What is this new thing that you are doing in and through my life to help bring the gospel to the world that's around me that seems aggressive against you? So there are two reasons why we're doing this Open House Sunday. And we, I find that there's a biblical precedent behind it and also a cultural precedent. And let me share the biblical precedent with you guys. You know, most have you noticed when you read the Gospels, most of Jesus' ministry was, down, was done outside of the church. When we do just do a brief read through all the Gospels, how many times do you see Jesus actually doing ministry within the synagogue? How many times do we actually see him spending most of his time either maybe, you know, practicing with the worship team, right? Saying, hey, man, the worship needs to get better or, or creating program. We don't see that. We see him walking most of the time with people in their everyday life. And that's the blessing that we want to come alongside as well, too, is that we want to see Jesus in our everyday life, to see his relevance in our everyday life. You know, a lot of times we see Jesus actually spending more time in people's homes. We see Jesus spending time in the synagogue ruler's home, in the Pharisee's home, Simon the leper's home, Peter and Andrew's home, and Martha and Mary's home. Now, why is that important? Because whenever we see him in the home, do you know what we notice? We notice that very specific ministry is done for the people in people's homes. Whenever we see a synagogue teaching, the, the authors of the gospel, they generalize. They just say, and then Jesus went to the temple or to the synagogue, and he taught there. It's a very general type of faith that we see happening. But when it gets to people's home, we see a more detailed and a very specific engagement that Jesus has with each of the people. And can that be the balance that this brings for our community as well. That we get the general picture of what God's, of God's kingdom in the church and as we gather all together. But then in our homes, we are introduced to a very specific outworking of God's kingdom in each one of our lives. You know, another example that we find is in Acts. In Acts, the biblical precedent is this. Do you know out of all the 40 miracles that are done in the book of Acts, did you know 39 of them 
are done outside of the church. Only one of them is done inside of the church. 39 miracles done outside of the church. You see, what this tells us is we need to redefine. We need to understand again what the power of God means in our everyday life. We need to change our thinking of how God's power works in our everyday life. We need to change it from going to church on Sundays and in that space of worship where, you know, we lift our hands and we expect God to bring that tingly feeling, right, through that worship and through the crowd that we have. Not that any of that is bad. It's good. We need those experiences as well. But we can't limit it to simply those kind of things where we understand God's power more in, in sync with what we see in the book of Acts, where God leads his people into everyday situations, into the brokenness of our world that's around us, and we see God's power at work in those spaces. We see God's power at work in your home right now, within your own family, where we feel like, you know, I don't know what to do with my children, or I don't know what to do with my coworkers, or I don't know... To, uh, I don't know what to do with my friends who are unchurched. We begin to see that God uses us and God's power, his desire is to use his power in each one of us to bring healing, to bring the truth of the gospel into those spaces. You see, the primary place where God wants to pour out his power and blessing is not our skin. <laughs> Right? For those tingly feelings. Like, that's the power of God. He wants to do something better than that. The primary place is to be a blessing in and through our life. This is why we see a lot of these miracles being done outside of the church. Now, there's also a cultural precedent that we see. That was a biblical one. The cultural precedent that we see is relearning what it means to be the people of God outside of our homes and to believe, uh, uh, sorry, outside of our churches and to believe that God works in those spaces as well. See, the cultural precedent that we see happening in our society right now is there is an increase of a number of people who identify themselves on censuses on a yearly basis that that write when, it, when they're asking you about your religious affiliation where people are writing none. N-O-N-E. I have no religious affiliation. People have called those people the nons, right? These people, nons, are exponentially increasing every year in our society. You know, we have Michaela joining us from England, right? And I'm going to put Michaela on the spot, but Michaela, did you know that in England, their, one of their most recent censuses that they had over 70% of the population of England actually wrote no religious affiliation. That group is not just growing in England, but growing in North America, growing in other parts of the world as well. See, this is the reason why we need to understand that sometimes that church, as good as it is, our homes it's a more appropriate place for us to not just worship God, but to invite other people to encounter God. Because if you ask these nons if they would ever go to a church on Sunday, they would never go. 
Not even on Christmas they would go. Not even on Easter. Not even on Thanksgiving. Not even for their friend's baby's baptism they would go. They have no thought of actually going to church on Sundays. Right? So no matter how much we improve our services, no matter how much we improve what we do on Sundays, they have no thought. Think of it in this kind of way. If there was like a different religious um, community that, that was right across the street from you, we'll just, for the sake of uh, just labeling one, we'll just say Islam. There was, a, there was a mosque that was right across the street from you. Would you ever think of going to their Christmas service? or their special holiday service, or they said, hey, we have this special singer that's coming, right? So we're inviting the neighborhood to come and to join us. Most of us, we would not even think, no matter what they tried, to make it more interesting. It's the same thing with these nons. They would never consider. But there is one place that they would consider going. If you know them, and you already have some sort of relationship with them, and you invite them over for dinner or for lunch or just to hang out at your place, more than likely they would say, yeah, sure, let's hang out together. And our homes can actually become the place of people's beginning engagement that they have with God. You see, for each one of us, our homes are actually natural places of engagement that we, can, that we can have with one another. And since every year more and more people will never step into a church, this becomes so much more important for us to share the good news of Jesus Christ by using our home as those spaces. So before we go into the rest of the sermon, and we look at Acts 8 and understand what we see happening in Acts 8. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 8. So Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. I'll be reading from the NIV. I invite you to read along. It reads this. On that day, a great persecution broke out against a church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. It's an amazing picture that the uh, that the book of Acts paints for us in light of this heavy persecution that was happening in the church. You see, what happened right before this persecution, the church was growing, you know, the Bible says, and thousands were added to their number daily as people were fellowshipping and growing together. And we see this great movement that's happening within the church. But then with the martyrdom of Stephen, and as he's stoned to death with Saul watching, 
suddenly a great unexpected persecution breaks out on the whole church and they're all scattered. But despite the scattering, because you would think that a lot of people as they are scattered um, and they're pushed into different places because they can't remain there. I'm sure some of the people are thinking, you know, I'm in a place now where I don't know any other Christians, right? Is, is there a point for me to hold on to my faith? I'm in a place where no longer can I have easy access to the synagogue or to the temple. What's the point of me holding on to my faith? I'm in a place where I'm trying to rebuild my life. I had my work and I had my identity and my whole social crowd back there. But now that they just pushed me out, I'm starting my life all over again. And I'm too busy to be thinking about all of these other religious kind of things. What's the point of me holding on to my faith? But what we see instead of an excuse or this kind of um, decision to just lay it down and just say, I guess this is what it is. It's interesting to see the description that Luke provides in this chapter by saying, and everywhere that they went, anywhere that these people were scattered, it says that they shared God's word. So these are the two points that I want to draw out from this passage. The first point is this. The first point is, our excuse, the excuse that we all hold when we are scattered or when we are, when we are pushed into a new space in our life, it's this, but I'm not ready. How many of us have said that before, right? That uh, we feel like God's doing a new thing and he's saying, I'm inviting you into this new place. But a lot of us, we feel like, but I'm not ready, God. You've chosen the wrong person, right? I'm not ready to do this for you. You know, the interesting thing, as soon as we read it, did you catch the detail that Luke wants to make sure that we get in this passage? Look what he says. On that day, a great persecution broke out in the church of Jerusalem. And get this, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. You see, the people who were scattered were not the were not the pastors. They were not the apostles. It said that everyone else was scattered, but the church is there, and the only people who are in the church are the pastors, right? And now it's empty. Everyone else is scattered away. And what does this tell us? What, what this tells us is you would think that if God is going to use the scattering of people, right, wouldn't you think that a better scattering would be, let's get all the apostles together and scatter them because don't they have a, a more firmer ground, uh, grounding of God's word? Wouldn't they be a better mouthpiece if they go into Samaria and the rest of Judea? Aren't they ready to spread God's word and to do great things? And God says, no, 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 pastors, you all stay here, right? I'm not using you. I'm going to use everyone else except you. And as, it, as these people are scattered, the amazing thing that we see happening out throughout the rest of the book of Acts is that the church grows, not because of pastors, not because of the apostles, but because of everyone else. And then as, as they're creating their church community, their home communities in their home, using their new homes as a gathering place, they're now calling the apostles out of Jerusalem and just saying, can you now come, right? And can you help lead some of this? Can you teach us to make sure that we're not going off? But the church growth 
and people coming to faith was not done by experts. It was done by ordinary people just like you. See, God chooses everyone else. Not the pastors, not the leaders. He chooses you. Remember what God says in 1 Corinthians 1.27. He says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Now, please understand, I'm not calling you guys foolish, right? But in terms of our, our wisdom and in terms of our best strategy, we would think that expertise is required for God to do a great work. But God says, no, expertise is not required. Just your willingness is required. Your willingness to journey with me. You know, sometimes I think the reason why God sends everyone else and not pastors is because of this. Sometimes God's trying to protect us. He's trying to protect us from focusing on ourselves. He's trying to protect each one of us from focusing on ourselves. You know, it's so easy to make church and our community at church all about how I feel and what I get out of it. Is this community a good community for me? Right? It's a music, uh, a type of music that really draws me in into worship and makes me feel good about my spirituality. A lot of times we get locked into that thinking because the pastors are the problem, right? We kind of promote that, right? And we try to build that kind of culture, right? But, but going out from there and starting intentional kind of relationships, and in these intentional relationships, making disciples, it actually helps us apply what we learn. See, a lot of us, we're overweight with all the verses that we know in the Bible. And God says, you already know enough. He's just inviting us, start applying it, start using it. The problem sometimes that we have in churches is this, is that we misunderstand the great commission that God gave us. Right? When Jesus gave us the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, what does he say? He says, go and make disciples of all nations. But the way that I think that we understand that, and sometimes the way that we misinterpret it is this, is we hear instead of go and make disciples, we hear instead, go and be disciples in all nations. He doesn't just call us to be a disciple. Meaning, just for ourselves, we focus on ourselves and our own faith and how we feel about our own spirituality. He doesn't say, go and just be. His commission is, go and make. I'm using you. I'm doing a new thing in and through your life. You know, a lot of us, we sometimes feel like, but I don't know where to start. Right? I, I don't know where all of this begins. I don't know how to engage with different people. You know, God tells us this. He says, the reason you don't receive is that you don't ask. And a lot of us, all we need to do is to start asking the Holy Spirit to just make us sensitive to what he is doing in our friends' lives, in different people's lives who are around us, and to believe that he cares about them, believe that he wants to answer you. If you don't know where to start, start by prayer. Let's get on our knees and start asking the Holy Spirit. Just saying, Lord, lead me. Teach me where I start. Teach me what I need to do. And one of the things that we find when we actually begin to do that is you will find that we become a lot less critical 
about church community. You know, one of the, one of the blessings about this is that when we're always gathered together and, and we kind of make spirituality about ourselves is that we begin to judge a lot. We begin to judge, oh, you know, Eddie, the lead pastor, you know, his sermons, you know, they're not that good. I wish I had someone else that did better sermons or, you know, the music isn't that good or the food isn't that good or the small groups isn't that good. And we begin to judge a lot of things without being involved. But when we are actually making disciples, when we're actively engaged in other people's lives, we're not so focused on whether what these leaders are doing pleases me, but we're more focused on God. I want to be a better model because I need to live this out in a way that my unchurched friend understands. And instead of focusing on other people and judging them, we look to ourselves and we look to our own attitudes and we begin to wonder, God, am I an imposter, (laughs) right? Do I bear the label Christian, (laughs) right? But am I recognizing that maybe that's not the full story of what's going on in my heart? Now, here's the second thing. The second point that we see, the first point was, you know, our excuse is that I'm not ready. But here's the second thing, which is the promise that God gives us. And it's God's promise. His promise is this. I will be with you. I will be with you. When Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, remember what he says at the end? Teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. And hear this, he says, I am with you. As we go and make disciples, as we teach them to do everything that God commanded us, he says, he is with us. For those of us who are having trouble experiencing God in our life, maybe this is the first step that we need to do to catalyze that process. It's because God says, as you go and make disciples, as you begin to live out your faith, you will experience me more. And part of the reason for that is we get on our knees more and we keep asking God more, use me, Lord, direct me. What we see happening with Philip is something that's great, right? Philip, an ordinary Christian, one of the the members of the church, as he goes out, we see God doing a great work in and through him. In fact, the work that he's doing, seeing like demons being cast out and evil spirits being pushed out, we see the similar work that how God used apostles. We see that same power at work in what we would consider just an ordinary individual. See, is it possible that God wants you to experience his presence and his power in your life as We live in obedience and do what he says. You know, I love the way that Pastor J.D. Greer, he puts it. And he says this, whatever you are good at. So when we are sent out and we're trying to understand how faith engages with our everyday life, he says this, whatever you are good at, do it well for the glory of God and do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. What he means by this is this. All of us, we all need a career, right? We all have a career anyways. So if our career is something that we're all going to possess and all going to pursue, why not make the primary deciding factor of why we do our career, why not make it a kingdom priority? See, ordinary people, ordinary business people, ordinary lay people brought the gospel out in Acts And they began the widespread 
evangelization of the gospel into regions that were unchurched. See, ordinary people God was using to spread God's word in very ordinary ways and not through the strategic plans of the leaders of the church. See, none of the advances that we see in the, gospel, in the book of Acts was done by pastors. It was done by brothers and sisters who were filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, when we check out verse 4, it says, when people were scattered, the one thing that they held to, it says, is those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. In other words, you can think of this. When they were scattered, when they were pushed aside, the one thing they didn't let go of was their dependence on God's word. They held that. They held that as their foundation. You know, we look at Samaria, a whole city, a whole nation of people changed by one man, Philip, simply because he's obedient to what God is calling him to do. A place that people, that Jewish people considered, they are hopeless. There's no way that God will ever do a good work in them. And a lot of times we look at our workplaces, we look at our friends, we look at certain family members, and we have that same hopelessness. We feel like there's no way God can change this place. But all it took for Philip was saying, God, if you pushed me here, then this is the place where I'm going to firmly hold to your word. Brothers and sisters, some of you guys are already in companies, are already in neighborhoods, are already in places where he's inviting you. Hold firmly the hope of the gospel. To believe it and to get on our knees and begin praying over our city, over our people. To believe that the most hardened hearts can be changed by God if we allow him to use us. I love verse 8. Now, verse 8 says this, which is a complete surprise to what we would expect of a city like Samaria. Luke summarizes it in this way. He says this, So, as Philip brought the gospel, it wasn't like people were offended by it or people were, they were like, you know, throwing it aside. He said it was making such a difference that what happened? There was great joy in that city. Brothers and sisters, we are called be joy givers. We are called as we hold firmly to God's word and we trust and we get on our knees and we believe that the Holy Spirit can do a good work in the brokenness of the lives who are around us, that in our workplace and wherever, thing, where, wherever God places us, we have that kingdom priority. We believe that God wants to bring great joy into those places with his gospel and with our obedience. Brothers and sisters, God has called us together. God has called us in our very places to say that I'm doing a new thing. Can you not see it? Can you not perceive it? That in the wilderness that we, that we live in, there's these springs that God is bursting forth. He is carving waters through these empty spaces. And he's using ordinary people to do this. 
Brothers and sisters, can we not see this? God is doing a good thing. He is doing a new thing. Let's be part of it. Let's surrender to him. Let's believe that the power of the Holy Spirit will bless you, guide you, and fill you with great joy as he does. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, I thank you so much for blessing us with this time to be reminded that you are good. Be reminded, Father, Lord, of the good work that you want to do in and through our lives and how you are using us. Father, may we respond by getting in our knees and instead of saying, I can't do this or I'm not ready, Father, I pray that we understand that you call us. You qualify that call. We can hope in you and things are done by your spirit, Father Lord. And the end result of that, Father Lord, is not hopelessness, Lord. It's not just oppressiveness. It's not just burdens that we carry, Father Lord. But there is great joy that comes out of it. There is a great fruitfulness that arises because of it. Teach us, Father Lord, to be church. Teach us to be your church, Lord. Help us to love one another radically, Lord. And to share that with people who are around us. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever. Amen. Amen.